Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters on this Tuesday afternoon, May 21st. We're coming to you live from our studios here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in St. Louis, Missouri. This is Concord Matters, the show where we take you through the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, and see what our church believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of God's holy word. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. You can find out more about St. Matthew Bonterre at our website, stmatthewbt.org. Now, listen to this quote today that we're going to be discussing as follows. The Pope is the true end Christ or Antichrist. He has exalted himself above and opposed himself against Christ, for he will not permit Christians to be saved without his power, which nevertheless is nothing and is neither ordained or commanded by God. So this is one of the things we're going to be talking about today. We'd be curious to know what your reaction is. This is coming from one of our Lutheran confessional documents to which we say we agree. And this is called the Schmalkald Articles, Part 2, Article 4 on the Papacy. So if you'd like uh, to ask a question or make a comment on today's program, we invite your participation. We have a toll-free number all across uh, America the United States, and it is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. And locally here in St. Louis, you can also reach us at our number here, area code 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. You can also email us your comments or questions at our email address, KFUO at KFUO.org. Our guests in the studio today, I just told someone, I've got my all-star team here. Uh, we have frequent guests, uh, Pastor Randy Asbury and Pastor Warren Worth. Welcome, Randy. Good to be here, Charlie. Thank you. Good. And you are the pastor where? At Hope Lutheran Church in St. Louis, South City. Yes, right in the find, city there. You can find us online at uh, HopeLutheranSTL.org. And you've got some exciting things that have been happening in the renovation of your worship space. Very much so. We are uh, getting a, a new, newly renovated organ back starting in and about a week. And you've done other renovations and, in the and to nave, he- help, in the chancel? help make that a much better instrument, we've done a massive renovation in our sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of things from uh, new paint jobs, decorating, hardening ceilings, hardening floors, you name it, we've done it. It's the same church, just has a new facelift. Good. And, uh, and a new sound. When are you anticipating the uh, the dedication of the new space or the new organ? That is the big question, and I wish I had an answer. Sometime in June, maybe? 
Yeah, end of June, maybe early July. We'll have to see. A lot depends on. Well, we know when the organ's coming back and when it'll be done and things like yeah. this. Some other uh, things there might uh, influence when right. we can have our big dedication. And, and what is your church's website again? HopeLutheranSTL.org. Very good. And then our other guest, another frequent uh, uh, voice on this radio station, is Pastor Warren Worth. And where are you, the pastor, Warren? Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. And a website? It's GoodShepherdArnold.org. Very good. And uh, these guys I keep asking back because they always do an excellent job. They're always well-prepared and uh, well-spoken. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I said that this part of our Lutheran confessions is called the Schmalkald, or Schmelkeld, however you want to do it, auf Deutsch, the Schmalkald Articles. And I'm, I want to know, first of all, uh, Warren, what are the Schmalkald Articles? When did they, when did they come about? Uh, who wrote them, and why were they written? Okay, Dr. Martin Luther wrote these articles in the year 1537. <clears throat> and what this was about was that the Pope, who was Pope Paul III, I think, at that time, had called uh, a church council, which Luther and the Reformers had been asking for a church council, in this case meaning a gathering of theologians from all over Christendom to come and address the theological issues that they were raising, uh, calling for reform and, and wanting to uh, address these things in a godly way. But the popes had resisted this, uh, wanting instead to just kind of have a top-down uh, decision about what the Catholic Church was going to do and not let these guys rock the boat. Not a free and fair council. Exactly, exactly. It was, and, it, and the Reformation, Luther's reforms have been going on for 20 <laughs> years at this point. Exactly so. And they wanted to, let's get these things resolved. So it was like in 1536 when this council was first called, but then he changed it. It was going to be at Mantua, uh, and then he said, well, no, 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 it's not going to be there. And so Luther, as he has his preface to this, uh, Who requested that Luther compose these articles? I believe it was John, was it not? John Frederick? Uh, and who was, the, you had the Schmalkaldic yeah, League. Yeah, what was the Schmalkaldic League? Okay, so you had these uh, evangelical Lutheran princes that, uh, knowing that the Pope and the Emperor were threatening them, not just uh, with uh, theological or churchly discipline, but also with war. That they Military would, pressure. They would bring soldiers against them. So they banded together. Um, a mutual defense league. It was a mutual defense league, yes, yeah, so that they would be able to use their soldiers and stuff to defend one another against attack. But they were still very much concerned about theology. This was yeah. not just merely a civil uh, realm sort of thing. These These people were godly men who cared about the truth of God's word. It was not just about uh, military power and civil government and holding on to political power. They were very much concerned about theology. So the idea was they wanted, if a council was were, were actually to take place, they wanted to be prepared with articles to say, we will hold on to this forever, we will never give in on this, but here are some things that we would be willing to compromise on. So when Luther wrote these up, it had to do with this idea of if a council takes place at Mantua or somewhere else, um, that we can point out what we could give up 
and what we could not. And mm-hmm. so this is what it's all about. And he begins, of course, with the chief things. Uh, who is the true God? Of course, that was not in dispute at that time. The Roman Catholics and the Lutherans all agreed. On that the was part one. That's very brief, saying... We're, we're all Trinitarian. We don't even have to bother Correct. debating this stuff. But then when you get into the doctrine of justification, which is, becomes really the, the chief article, uh, you know, there Luther and the Lutherans point out that we, and he quotes numerous Bible passages showing that Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, died for our sins and was raised again for our justification, Romans four twenty four to 25. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John one twenty nine, And God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, 6, and he goes on and on. So, so Luther is saying, here's the chief thing we're not going to yield on. We will never, he says, against the Pope or the devil or anyone else. The we article will, of justification. We will hang on to this teaching of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, uh, come what may, and we'll, we'll die before we would give this yeah. up. And he goes on from there, talking about other things like the Mass uh, and so forth. Monastic vows, etc. Correct. Yeah, we'll come back to that in a little bit later. Uh, Randy, anything uh, you want to add? What was the? How did Luther regard these small called articles personally for him? Personally, it was kind of like uh, another confession of faith for him. Here's what I believe. Here's what this Reformation's always been about. Uh, he, he did this several times. Uh, a couple of times he thought he was going to die very shortly, very yeah. soon, so he'd do a, a confession like this. So he kind of had that same spirit going into the small called articles here, that this is my confession. My last will and testament. My last will and testament. And also, he wanted things like this written down to correct all of the mistaken notions. People would say, oh, well, Luther really says this yeah, or yeah. that. And he said, no, no, no. Let me clarify. I'm going to write it down yeah. for you. Now. There had been a, an appearance before the emperor in Augsburg of these Lutheran princes in 1530. Correct. But uh, the situation had deteriorated since then over against the pope. The emperor is Charles V, the Holy Roman Empire. But then the pope, this is also primarily against the pope and uh, the Roman Catholic yes. uh, mm-hmm. theologians of the time. Yes, and, right. and you could say the Augsburg Confession was a an attempt to make some... Uh, uh, political peace as well as making a theological confession. But I think the political peace has gone by the wayside by now. Yeah. Now we're just confessing the truth. We don't care what you say about it. We're confessing the truth. There was more of an ironic tone in 1530 with yes. Augsburg, mm-hmm. but the situation had deteriorated in the seven years since. And so now Luther and also fitting his personality of a little more combative or polemical uh, comes out with this. Well, and you can hear as he writes this that he's not very optimistic that a council will actually be held or that if it is held, that it will be done fairly. Right. You know, he feels like the devil is out to get us and it's not really likely that we're going to get anywhere trying to uh, speak the truth in love to these people who don't want to hear the truth. Right. So they can't handle the truth. Now, uh, last week, Sean Smith and his, uh, what does he call them, the the, com- the Company of Christ Confessing Concordians or something like that, he told me that the, there were some technical difficulties, sound issues, so he wanted to make sure we review paragraphs 1 through 9, and let's just do that uh, briefly here. So, um, uh, Randy, one thing that came out in paragraphs 1 through 9 is, Luther saying who the Pope is and who the Pope isn't. 
Right. Yeah, the Pope is not, as this uh, article begins, he's not, according to divine law or God's word, the head of all Christendom. That's what the Pope was claiming. I'm the head of the church. Uh, God gives me that right. It's by divine law. It's by God's word. Therefore, you must obey me. Luther says, nope, that's not true. All that the Pope is, is... He's a bishop. Yeah, what he is, he's a bishop of Rome. It says here the Pope is the only is only the bishop and pastor of the church at Rome, and those who have attached themselves to him voluntarily or through a human agency, such as a political ruler. So, yeah. uh, and this brings up a, a, I think a key distinction here. Uh, the, the Pope, if he says I'm a bishop by human right, by human, um, you know. Arrangements, arrangements uh, you know, voting or appointments, whatever you have, um, then we can live with it. In fact, it's interesting, Melanchthon himself, who wrote the Augsburg Confession, in his signature to this very small called article says, well, you know, regarding the Pope, I hold that if he would allow the gospel, we could agree to his superiority over the bishops, which he has otherwise by human right. Yeah. But once he makes the claim it's by divine right, up, oh, no deal. We're not right. going there. Yes, yeah. So it would be like uh, saying, well, you know, all of our pastors are equal, but we're going to elect one pastor to be the bishop overseeing or the, the archbishop overseeing a whole bunch of churches. We could live with that uh, by human arrangement. But the other problem is he's opposing the gospel, which is even right. worse. Right. So, okay. And then... Um, in reviewing paragraphs one through nine, Warren, in paragraph three, Luther talks about, uh, what does he say here? Um, the Pope does all this for the ruin of the entire Holy Christian Church, so far as it is in his power, and for the destruction of the chief article about the redemption made through Jesus Christ. What was the Pope doing that was uh, ruining the whole church and destroying the chief article, you alluded to the chief article earlier. Right, the chief article being the doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and the Pope is insisting that it, we're saved by merit, and that the church is the dispenser of the, the merits of the saints, for example, and so making the mass into the sacrifice of the mass, and whereby sins are paid off the purgatory, the whole idea of purgatory, and that you must uh, have a way to get out of purgatory, and the church dispenses the merits of the saints to do that. Uh, the masses for the dead, uh, just one thing after another, all these things that the papacy was ins insisting upon, which militate against the idea of salvation as a free gift earned by Jesus Christ by his life, suffering, death, and resurrection, and given through God's word and sacraments as a free gift to be received by faith alone. And so all of these things uh, that the Pope was doing, Luther was saying, this is undermining the gospel. This is devilish. It's blasphemous. Uh, he's arrogant, and it's downright false, and it goes against Christ and against the gospel. Hence, Antichrist. You're against Christ. You're against the gospel of free grace and teaching salvation by works, uh, by, by saving yourself, as it were. Do either of you gentlemen recall the word, and it's sort of on the tip of my brain here, the term lodestar, L-O-D-E, S-T-A-R. What is a lodestar? Do you ever hear, come across that? Oh, I have. I'm drawing a blank right is, now. Is it with mining? And, and Or isn't it something that sort of orients you to determine all directions in you, navigation or you, something you, like that? You You're going to Google this here. I'll, I'll look it up real quick. Keep going. Yeah. 
Well, whatever, the, if I'm using the word correctly, I sound like Bertie Wooster here. He'll throw out a word, and a fancy word, he says, if I'm using the word correctly. <laughs> but it's sort of like a, a, a an orienting point in the sky from which you get all your navigation. Yes, what do you a, find? A star used to guide a ship. You're, you're right on there. All Especially right, all right. the pole star, or north star, I guess. I've used yeah, the right. word correctly. Right. And so for Luther... This article of justification is his lodestar to determine the navigation through all these other issues. And as you just explained it very nicely, Warren, uh, this is why all these claims of the papacy and all the practices of monastic vows and the sacrifice of the Mass, what's guiding Luther through all of this is the lodestar of uh, justification by grace through faith in Christ apart from works of the law. Very Absolutely, good. yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just uh, amazed myself pulling the, <laughs> the lodestar image out of the sky there. And, and I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, um, I can't, it, my name just escaped me. I'll, I'll be the sidekick who says, indeed, sir. <laughs> Jeeves. Jeeves, yes, Jeeves, Jeeves. <laughs> indeed, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Um, then in paragraph 4, as we're reviewing, uh, it says that the Pope is crying out that no Christian, Christian can be saved without obeying him and being subject to him in all that he wishes, says, and does. Uh, although you believe in Christ and have in him alone everything you need for salvation, yet it is nothing and all in vain unless you regard me, the Pope says, as your God and be subject and obedient to me. Randy, I mean, Luther is prone to hyperbole, but, I mean, is there some truth in what he's saying there? Yeah, there is. I, I don't know that the Pope was literally saying, uh, trust me as your God, yeah. but he was putting himself at the head of all Christendom, and he was saying, and, and the Roman Catholic Church still does this today, saying, you must obey the Pope, right? And since this time, we've had uh, Popes coming up with ex-cathedra statements, let me spit that out, um, when they speak from the seat or the chair, as it's called, making an official pronouncement, that's what you must believe sort of thing. So so there is that move on the Pope's part of saying, okay, since I'm the head of Christendom, you must obey me. And that's what Luther's zeroing in on here. Or if the Pope says, you're okay, even if you're not Catholic, it's because he said it. I'm thinking right. of our current very liberal hippie Pope, Frankie, uh, <laughs> who says that the Muslims are our brothers and all of this, and uh, he's still sort of arrogating to himself, uh, you have to get the dispensation of the papacy, Warren. Exactly so. And, and the Catholics have said all along, the Pope is the vicar of Christ upon earth. Mm -hmm. And so if the idea is that, you know, he stands in the stead of Christ for the whole world, and everybody must recognize him as such, or you're out. And so the Catholic Church to this day actually speaks out of both sides of its mouth. Yeah. Because they still uh, hold to the writings that took place in the time of the Reformation, like the Council, the Council of, of Trent, Trent, in which they condemn very precisely Our teaching. the teaching well, and the biblical teaching. Yeah, right? yeah. So that when the Bible says, God says through the apostles, you're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, not by the works of the law. And then they say, if anybody says that, let him be anathema. anathema condemned. You know, exactly. Then it's like, okay, so you are setting yourself up over against God's word and saying what I say matters and you don't understand the bible if you disagree with me that's and actually you know the, the rhetorical question is the pope catholic 
Um, when this current pope says, you know, that uh, the Muslims and everybody, the politically correct pope, he is kind of being Catholic because he's saying if you're just doing the best you can, then you'll be all right. Well, I, I would go the other way. He's not being Catholic because Catholic is a, a term that means right, according, to, in the according to the whole, right. right? The whole of Christendom, the whole of uh, what the Bible teaches and, and what we confess based on that. Um, and so he's really not being Catholic as much as doing his own thing, yeah, which is really the problem in he's Luther's even, day and in ours. Yeah, he's not really a conservative Catholic. I mean, he's all social justice and all this, but I mean, all the popes. And, and this goes, we'll talk more about scholasticism later on, that uh, if you just do what's in you, then God's not going to deny you grace. And this is the anonymous Christian of Karl Rahner, and, uh, you know, even the, the, the pagans, if they're good people, they can get some points with God and so forth. And it comes back to saving yourself by your own good works, rather than trusting in Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Yes, okay. Uh and then just to wrap up this review here, uh, in paragraph 5, he says, the Holy Christian Church can exist very well without such a head, namely the Pope. And then in paragraph 9, Luther says, the church, the church can never be governed and preserved, can never be better governed and preserved than if we all live under one head, Christ. So, Warren, the, the, the Pope is not the head of the church. Uh, Christ is the head of the church, and that's a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Amen. That's what the scriptures teach, and that's the way it ought to be. With with someone else, you've got a monster. You know, you can't have more than one head, right? What The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, in the same way Jesus Christ is her one and only head. Now, Randy, uh, Warren had mentioned about the vicar of Christ standing in the place of Christ. Now, let me play somebody's advocate here. On Sunday morning or... Uh, do you ever say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins? Yes, indeed. How is that different yes. from being a pope? I'm not making myself the head of all Christendom. I'm only doing what he has given me to do in his stead, by his command. All right, Asbury, you go forgive the sins of those people at Hope Lutheran Church. So I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'll do what you say. That's in, in the that's stead. That's been given it, to it, you to that's do. That's been given to me to do. That, that's more like an ambassador in a foreign yeah. country speaking for, say, the president of the United States. What the Pope is doing, calling himself the vicar of Christ, is he's elevating himself to kind of... Uh, well, I'm I'm the deputy president here. I'm the deputy head of the church, and you listen to me first. So it's a, a lot different move there. You know, yeah. When, when I say in the stead of and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I'm only saying what he's authorized me to do, forgive sins. Yeah. It's far different from the pope being the vicar. In fact, uh, the, the pope as anti-Christ, uh, Warren, you mentioned uh, against Christ, the, the Greek word is kind of interesting it's, it's really instead of or in yeah. place of uh which is kind of i wonder if it's a play on the whole vicar thing here yeah, yeah. in place of christ well he's in place of christ in a negative sense 
as in going against Christ. And an ambassador can only say what he's authorized to say. Exactly. And so I think that's a very important yes. point. So the Apostle Paul, speaking of the holy ministry, says we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. And he's pointing to what God did in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. But if you're saying, I make the rules, and if you do what I say, you're in. If you Whether or not I've got scripture for it. Exactly. Right. Even against what Jesus himself has commanded to say. And that's the thing where it's very devilish than to twist everything around and say, I can t- give you the power to go to heaven or I can send you to hell. I don't care what you believe. Or I can make up things that are not in Scripture. Against Scripture, against yeah. Christ himself. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to the new material in our juicy quote here about the Pope is the true end Christ or Antichrist uh, right after this break. Up to this point, we've given you the background of the Small Called Articles and a review of paragraphs 1 through 9. And right after this brief break, uh, we're going to come back and tackle the rest of this article. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. The American writer Edgar Allan Poe was known for his macabre and eerie tales, including The Tell-Tale Heart. His work often contained biblical allusions. His most famous poem, The Raven, published in 1845, opens with the words, Once upon a midnight dreary, and features a raven repeatedly crying, Nevermore. The poem references seraphim, the six-winged beings described in Isaiah chapter 6, and quotes Jeremiah 8 when the narrator asks the question, 
Is there balm in Gilead? The third from final verse references Heaven that bends above us by that God we both adore. Poe lived a tumultuous life, dying of unknown reasons at the age of 40. But like so many literary masters, he was no stranger to the significance and impact of the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We are back on Concord Matters on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen, and two fellow pastors here in the studio with us, uh, Randy Asbury and Warren Worth. We're looking at the Schmalkald articles in the Book of Concord, Part 2, Article 4 on the Papacy, and now we launch into some new material, starting with Paragraph 10. And I'll read 10 and 11 here. This teaching shows forcefully that the Pope is the true end Christ or Antichrist. He has exalted himself above and opposed himself against Christ, for he will not permit Christians to be saved without his power, which nevertheless is nothing and is neither ordained nor commanded by God. This is, properly speaking, how he, quote, exalts himself against every so-called God, end quote, as Paul says, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, even the Turks, that's a reference to the Muslims, even the Turks or the Tartars, great enemies of Christians as they are, do not do this. They take bodily tribute and obedience from Christians, but they allow whoever wishes to believe in Christ. I'm not so sure the Muslims today do that. But uh, uh, Warren, what is this term? Why does he call him the Pope, the true end Christ or Antichrist. First, let's get this term end Christ, which is kind of unique. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, you know, I've not run into that in a lot of other places. I think that it, he's using them sort of synonymously, yeah. like at the end of time. In end the, in, times. In the end times, you're going to have this. So in the New Testament, yes. and, well, and, and also some of the Old Testament prophecies such as Daniel talk about that in the end days, you know, there will be many antichrists. I think First John has that. Yes, that's exactly so. John. And But then also there seems to be one in particular in the end times who especially rises up and makes war against the people of God. And, and we see that like in Thessalonians, Second and, in Thessalonians. Book, and in Revelation. Right. In Second Thessalonians, he's called the man of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly the description there that I think are, the Reformers saw being fulfilled in their day by somebody rising up in the temple of God. Within the church. Exalting himself above God and all that is called God and opposing the people of God and opposing the truth of God. And, and they see that particularly in the fact that the Pope was persecuting physically and otherwise those who are trying to preach the truth about Jesus as the Son of God whose death and resurrection are the only basis of our hope of salvation, that nothing we do contributes to our salvation, and they were so opposing that and resisting that, that it was obviously devilish that someone would actually persecute and and imprison and put to death people who were teaching the truth of the gospel, and instead putting something in place of that gospel, hope in one's own works for salvation. So, uh, someone arising with power within the church who will mislead lots of people, 
with false teaching and who will even use physical persecution against uh, those who hold to the truth. Randy, you want to add to that? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, something within the church. I, I find it interesting. I, I checked out that Second uh, Thessalonians 2 passage, and in the, the Lutheran Study Bible, there's a little note about uh, how the uh, man of lawlessness or in the temple of God has been viewed over the, over the uh, centuries. It says, church fathers believed the Antichrist would be a successor to the Roman Empire. Yeah. I found that inter- interesting. But then during the medieval period, some Franciscans and other theologians asserted strongly that the Pope was the Antichrist. So Luther did not invent this thing. It had been a recurring theme for centuries once the the Pope, the papacy, the office, the institution of the Pope uh, had you know come to the fore and said, I'm the head of the church here. Right. And, and so, uh, uh, yeah, arrogating power to himself and going against the gospel, as we've talked about before, but then also persecuting those who disagree, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, I mean, you can see a connection with the Roman Empire, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what Rome did with its enemies, get rid of them. Well, and, and you and, had the, the and Pope power and hungry. the Holy Roman Empire uh, coming against the uh, the ones confessing the true faith at that time. Exactly. Right. So, so, so the Pope and the papacy were fulfilling the marks of the Antichrist, particularly at this at that time. Correct. And uh, still today, Warren, uh, what about, you made a distinction during the break between a, a particular individual pope and his eternal salvation or not thereof versus uh, the office of the papacy as Antichrist. Very good. And rather so that I don't get carried away and use up the rest of our time on this, <laughs> I'll have our listeners realize that you can go to lcms.org. That's this website for our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And if you look under what we believe, they have a brief statement of the doctrine of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you look at that document, one of the articles there is of the Antichrist. And that paragraph explains what we believe and why we believe it on these very passages of Scripture, and also referring to the small called articles as a previous statement to which we all agree that the papacy is the Antichrist. At the end of that paragraph, there's a link that takes you to the frequently asked questions section of our Mm -hmm. website. And there, the question was asked of somebody uh, about what we really believe. Do we believe the Pope is the enemy, that we believe the Pope is the Antichrist? And so there's a longer answer there from our Commission on Theology and Church Relations that explains what we do believe and what we don't believe. We have never taught that one individual Pope is the Antichrist. Um, We teach that the institution of the papacy is, we don't presume to judge an individual's heart, and we would say that an individual pope may, in his heart of hearts, be a Christian and and die in the faith. We call that a felicitous inconsistency, where where their official teaching would lead you astray that in one's heart of hearts, and this applies to any individual Catholic or or Lutheran, or any person, uh, what the person himself believes in his heart, uh, whether it goes with or against the official teaching. And they also leave open the possibility that the Roman Catholic Church could, presumably, 
reform itself? Be reformed. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, if they reconsidered their position in the light of Holy Scripture, they could say, you know what? We were wrong, and now we're going to confess the truth with our brothers and sisters, the Lutherans, who believe that you're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and we renounce our previous position where we were teaching salvation by work. So if that were to happen, then we would say, well, then it would no longer be. The other thing this uh, Q&A points out is that all false teachers are antichrist. Antichrist, antichrist yes. Like exactly. first, first John teaches that. All right, so there are many antichrists that have come into the world. So, But if thinking about the man of lawlessness of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that really, you can see why the reformers would see that being fulfilled in their own day. And it is still that way to the extent that the Roman Catholic Church, despite their more recent pronouncements where they want to make it sound like everybody's safe, you know, if you're mm-hmm. a good person, everybody's safe, that they still have not renounced their previous positions, uh, you know, Luther was excommunicated. They never mm-hmm. unexcommunicated him, and they never renounced their previous positions. The anathematizing of our doctrine, exactly. So, if you say that anybody who believes that you're saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong, particularly in light of the Apostle Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit says, if anybody teaches any other gospel than what we preach to you, let him be a curse. Let him be a curse. Right. So, and I think, that, I think that goes to, you know, recent pronouncements. What, what did you call this pope? Uh, Frankie the Hippie Frankie Pope? Frankie the Hippie Pope. Okay. <laughs> I didn't come up with that, okay. but I thought it was yeah. an apt okay. description. Very apt. But when he says things like Muslims are our brothers or, or they give pronouncements that, you know, these people will be saved too, well... Even that's going against the gospel because the gospel is very clear. Scripture is very clear. Only by faith in Jesus Christ are we saved. Not by being, not good, by people. being good people. Not by being the favored nation status of you know this 21st century or this decade or that decade. It's only by faith in Christ. So uh, even in our day, the papacy is undermining the gospel, and we need to be alert to that. Yeah, very good. All right, let's try to get a little more in today. Paragraphs uh, 12 and 13. The Pope, however, bans this faith. He says that to be saved, a person must obey him. This we are unwilling to do, even though we must die in God's name because of this. This all proceeds from the Pope wishing to be called the supreme head of the Christian church by divine right. So he had to make himself equal and superior to Christ. He had to have himself proclaimed the head and then the Lord of the church, and finally of the whole world. This makes him simply God on earth, to the point that he has dared to issue commands even to the angels in heaven. So, uh, Randy, what is this claim of the Pope? Well, the claim is, uh, don't believe um, this Christian faith, you follow me. Uh, And uh, to which Luther uh, famously, uh, what was it, his 95 Theses, or maybe one of the other writings where he says, uh, well, if if the Pope can make these decisions, why doesn't he just free purgatory of all the souls there if he's merciful? So, So it's really that the Pope is being a tyrant. Uh, he's not being merciful. He's not teaching according to God's word. He's saying, you must obey me. And, and so, and if you're not obeying me, then, you know, I'm coming after you. And, and that, that's what he tried to do with, uh, Luther. Not the current pope in 1537, but who was it? Pope Leo the 10th, uh, during the, uh, uh, Wartburg. 15, yeah. 20, uh, yeah. 
issue the exurga domina. Yes, exurga domina, you know, get rid of this guy, Luther. And and so Luther makes his, his bold confession there at the Diet, Diet of Worms. And um, there, there are, you know, you read the story of Luther and they wanted to get rid of this monk because he was just a, a pesky little fly or gnat yeah. in their ointment. Uh, the, they really the, wanted to get rid of him, and, and how were they going to do that? Well, take him to Rome, and then yeah. nobody would ever see him again. But but the Pope and, and uh, the bishops and everything, they were constantly fighting against the Lutherans you know, in, in battle, on the battlefield, and in, in other ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah, taking all of these kinds of things. So that, that's what this paragraph's getting at here. You don't follow the Pope, then watch out. I'm coming after and you. And this claim to be the supreme head of the whole church by divine right. And as you said earlier... If it were just by human arrangement, that would be one thing. But he's claiming by divine right, and it's a big stretch from uh, uh, Matthew 16. Uh, uh, explain that what what the, how they use Matthew 16 and Peter oh, and okay, the rock. So, so when Jesus at Caesarea Philippi asks, uh, "Who do people say that I am?" and they say, "Well, people have all kinds of goofy ideas. John the Baptist or some one of the other prophets that have died previously. Who do you say that I am?" Peter speaks up for everybody. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus says, "Blessed are you." Uh, Simon, son of John, right, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. Exactly. And so Rome uses that to say that's the institution of the papacy and making Peter the head of everything rather than recognizing that the rock is, is Jesus about whom Peter and had just confessed the that apostolic he, the, 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 confession, the confession of, of the faith, yes. That he is yeah. the Christ, the Son of the living and God. And even if you were to grant Peter personally being the rock, which he isn't, then it's a big stretch to say, because Peter ended up in Rome and got killed there, and he was the first bishop of Rome, that therefore all the succeeding bishops of Rome are by divine right head of all the church. That's what I call a pretty big stretch. Indeed. Because yeah. I'm not sure Peter got to have the... Uh, of the office of the Pope before he got executed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he was being persecuted himself. And All the right. keys, the keys to which... Uh, and that's the papal seal is the keys. Right. But Jesus didn't give them only to Peter. The, right. It, it you know, was you singular there, but a couple of chapters later, then he gives them to all the apostles, and then ultimately the entire church has this power to forgive sins. Again, as Jesus sends us as his ambassadors right. to uh, to bring that forgiveness that he alone could earn for the whole world, and we deliver it by means of the gospel. All right, let's get on to uh, paragraph 14. I've got three different points, three different parts to this longer paragraph here. I want to break it up in three parts. So the first part, uh, paragraph 14. When we distinguish the Pope's teaching from or compare it to Holy Scripture... It is clear that the Pope's teaching at its best has been taken from the imperial and heathen law. It deals with political matters and decisions or rights, as the decretals show. His law also teaches ceremonies about churches, garments, food, persons, and childish theatrical and comical things without measure. But in all of this, nothing at all is taught about Christ, faith, and God's commandments. So, Randy, what was the Pope's rule? What did it look like? What did, what was he always dealing in? And what is conspicuously absent? Well, he, he would deal in things like um, you have to fast from meat every Friday, or you have to do this. You have to... Um, 
give money for indulgences, uh, things like this. Uh, he, he was, uh, it mentions the uh, heathen uh, and imperial and heathen law. He, he, he wanted to These be... canonical Yeah, he, he wanted, on, on the one hand, he wanted to be the, the ruler of, of nations, you know, like the, the ruler of all the world. Claiming power uh, in both church and state. Both church and state. He wanted to be a state ruler. Uh, but he also was ruling within the church... Uh, Warren mentioned the uh, merit system before, uh, like a banker. I mean, that's that's really what the merit system was. It was like a big Private bank, masses. you know, a billion dollars put into your account, and, and now you, you can, can withdraw them. from it and dispense it. And so he was dispensing these these merits uh, to based on to get out of purgatory or, or this, that, and the other thing. And, and so the power and and, and the, the control of uh, of people by this merit system that that's what his his reign looked like, and what. What was missing was the gospel, was the mercy, the forgiveness, what was uh, preaching God's word, teaching uh, what the scriptures say. And, and, and so a lot when, of man, when, man-made when the, commandments instead man, of God's yes, man-made commandments. commandments. Uh, and so when, when this uh, uh, paragraph goes on to talk about the uh, uh, ceremonies about churches, garments, food, persons, uh, and so on, um, you know, giving all these rules. I mean, when you hear somebody in the church say, well, I got to know what the rules are. The Pope was wanting to give all kinds of rules for how to do this, how to do that. That's right? what it, was in, being in the emphasized. Exactly. Faith in Christ as the sole yeah. mediator was neglected. Exactly. Yeah. Warren, I'm going to give you the next one here. I'm going to read 14 part B here. Uh, finally, the papacy is nothing else than the devil himself. Because above and against God, the Pope pushes his falsehoods about masses, purgatory, the monastic life, one's own works, and false worship. This, in fact, is the papacy. So, these these various practices here that are mentioned, uh, masses, purgatory, monastic life, one, so forth, what is the underlying problem the disease that shows itself in these symptoms. In all of this is the idea that you save yourself by your own works. And what's left out is the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins that's only found in Christ and his merit. Yeah. So, so it's all about you have to do something to earn your favor with God. And the church as the dispensary of what you need to maybe, if you're lucky... Uh, get enough points to get your time off in purgatory or so forth, right. or for your dead relatives. So what was lacking was Christ in the, and faith in the mediator, Jesus. Uh, and they majored in these other things. And then to, to make it even worse, now we come to part C of paragraph 14. He, the Pope, also condemns, murders, and tortures all Christians who do not exalt and honor his abominations above all things. Therefore, just as we cannot worship the devil himself as Lord and God, so we cannot endure his apostle, wow, <laughs> the devil's apostle, uh, so we cannot endure his apostle, the Pope or Antichrist, in his rule as head or Lord. For what his papal government really consists of, as I have very clearly shown in many books, is to lie and kill and destroy body and soul eternally. Now, you know, Jesus calls the devil a, devil a murderer from the beginning. And Luther very strongly here says that the Pope is killing in both body and soul. Explain that, Randy. 
Well, in, in body, that's pretty clear because he's uh, going after those who disagree with him. Think of uh, Jan Hus, a, a century before burned at, the Luther, burned at the stake for doing what? For trying to reintroduce uh, the cup of the Lord's Supper to the lay people, right? And, and, and uh, extolling that and saying, well, of course lay people should get the, both the body and the blood of Christ. But here's Jan Hus being burned at the stake for that so-called heresy. So we'll get rid of our enemies by killing them bodily. But he's also murdering in soul because he's, he's not uh, teaching the gospel. He's not allowing the gospel to be taught. He's, he's giving another teaching instead of Christ, right? He says he's serving Christ, but he's not. He's, he's serving himself. He, he's serving his own institution, his own power, his own wealth. And so that's killing the soul of people as well. It's, it's robbing them of their greatest comfort, and that is free and full salvation by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which is the only gospel that saves. The only gospel that saves, the only uh, medicine that heals the soul. Good. All right. Uh, let's see here. Let's go on to paragraph 15. They will have enough to condemn in the council in these four articles. For they cannot and will not concede to us even the least point in one of these articles. Of this we can be certain. We must be sure and consider the hope that Christ our Lord has attacked his adversary. He will press and attack him both by his spirit and his coming. Amen. Pastor Worth, earlier you, you spoke of this anticipated council. Now we're not talking about your local congregation's secretary and treasurer, and I mean, I mean, some of those church council meetings can be <laughs> uh, difficult, or voters' meetings. But uh, what kind of a council again is? He, again, he's talking about to? a church council where you would be be bringing together uh, theologians and pastors from the whole European church to come together to consider these theological matters and come to an agreement. That was the idea of a, a council of people being brought together to talk about these disputed matters and try to find uh, a, com a consensus on the basis of God's word. That would ideally be what it would be. Now, in the case of the papacy, the deck would be stacked against uh, the Protestants, and the, the, he didn't, you know, Luther did not trust the councils to actually deal with this fairly. So as opposed to when the emperor uh, called the Lutherans to come to Augsburg, Luther felt like there at least, you know, he gave a, a fair hearing, let them have their say yeah. and listen to what they had to say, whether he believed it or not, at least he let them speak. Yeah. But Luther felt that coming before the Pope, it would be like coming before the devil himself because everything would be stacked against them and he wouldn't let the truth be heard. So in 1537... Luther and the Schmalkaldic League are anticipating there might be a council that the Pope would call it the city of Mantua in the near future, and that's why they composed these articles. That never came about. Uh, the council that did come about, starting in 1545 at Trent, uh, the Lutherans didn't go to that because it was completely a, a stacked deck. It was only for the extirpation of the Lutheran heresy. It was not to hear them out and come to a fair decision. So uh, that's the council. And then, Randy, what are these four articles? It says they will have enough to condemn in the council in these four articles. I believe it would be the four articles of this second part of the small called articles. Which yes. are? Uh, starting at Article 1, the chief article, which we mentioned before, justification by grace through faith 
um, by Jesus Christ alone there. So that's the chief doctrine there. Right. Article 2, the Mass. How do we look at the, the Mass, or we might call it divine service today, the liturgy? The sacrifice uh, our, of the Mass was the, the error. That, that was the error. And right? that was really the, 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 what would you call it, the foremost uh, egregious symptom of the, of the wrong teaching. Right. That, that, that's, where the teaching of, that's where the rubber of the teaching hit the road. Right. And right. then in that article, he also mentions things like, purgatory and relics and right. other things right. that the mass has spawned. Right. And then the third article would be chapters and cloisters or the monasteries, the convents. Um, you know, what's wrong with these things? People would see them as, oh, the, the super spiritual people, the, the really holy people are up on the mountain there in the monastery. Uh, we poor uh, uh, people down here in the in the town or the village, we're not as, as spiritual or holy. So, and Luther uh, and himself they, had been there, done been that, there, yep. and got the uh, rough shirt. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And then Article 4 would be what we've been talking about, the papacy. So these four articles are the ones uh, they're referring to here. Good. That, that, that this council that never happened, that they thought would, uh, they won't want to give anything up on the, on these things. Right. And uh, Luther was right in that. Uh, then paragraph 16, which concludes this article, Luther writes, in the council, the anticipated one that didn't come about, in the council we will not stand before the emperor or the political ruler as at Augsburg, 1530, where the emperor published a most gracious edict and caused matters to be heard kindly. Instead, we will appear before the pope and devil himself, who intends to listen to nothing, but will just condemn murder and force us to idolatry. Therefore, we should not kiss, here kiss his feet or say, you are my gracious Lord. Rather, we should say, as the angel uh, of the Lord says in Zechariah 3, verse 2, said to the devil, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Warren, what's the difference between Augsburg, what Luther saw happen in Augsburg in 1530 uh, with the emperor versus what he anticipated would be the case at a council before the pope? At Augsburg, the Lutherans were able to make their case. They could state what they believed and taught and confess on the basis of God's word, and the emperor allowed them to speak and be heard. Uh, Luther did not have the confidence that another council before the pope would permit the truth to be told, that instead of hearing both sides of the issue and examining it on the basis of scripture, it was like, do what we say or you're dead. And that's basically what he was anticipating. Randy, you want to add anything to that? Well, I think Warren's right on there. It was a matter of uh, the Roman Catholic Church, or the Roman Church, I'll say it that way, the Roman Church and the Pope coming and saying, you need to bow down, knuckle under, uh, so we can get moving on with other things. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. compromise yeah, on we're not compromi compromising on anything. And and, and Luther and, and uh, the Schmalkaldic League and, and other reformers were saying the same thing. We're not compromising either because we've got the truth of God's Word, as they showed in Augsburg, in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, in the catechisms before this, many sermons, many uh, pamphlets and books and everything like this. So uh, the lines were pretty f hard and fast that, Okay, we've got two opposing doctrines going on here, and that's uh, why we can thank God for Luther and, and the Schmalkaldic League for saying, let's be faithful and stand on God's word and not let the Pope bully us. And, Warren, why don't we compromise 
and yield on these things? What's at stake? What's at stake is everlasting salvation and the comfort of consciences that are terrified because of sin. The only way you can find comfort and peace is through the promise of forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them from my hand. That's the gospel that Luther and the Lutherans would not give up on. And we proclaim that very clearly in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and in your local congregation. So go to church and hear this gospel being proclaimed this week. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO.